Welcome to Amplify, the personal brand entrepreneur show. Today on the show, Bob is speaking with Robbie Swale. I saw talent where in reality, it was a lot of practice. And often when we see someone who we think is talented, it's actually just that they've practiced it much more than, than a normal person has. And so when you know that, then practicing something, even for just 12 minutes a week, is, is really important because it can take us to somewhere in the future that, that we wouldn't have imagined was possible for something as short as 12 minutes a week. Hi there, and welcome back to the Personal Brand Business Show. My name is Bob Gentle, and every week I speak with incredible people who share their secrets to building, marketing, and monetizing their expertise, intentionally growing a unique personal brand and the mindset you need for your business to grow and thrive. If you're new to the show, while you still have your device in your hand, then hit the subscribe button. That way you won't miss a single episode. And if you're a regular listener, then consider sharing this show with just one person. It's the very best way you can help the show grow and for me to reach more people. So some of you come to personal branding as a way to stand out as a coach and others come to coaching as a way to monetize hard-won expertise and build stronger awareness. Whatever is true for you, coaching is at the heart of the life of every high performer, often as both the coach and the coached at the same time. So this week, I'm pleased to welcome now three times author of How to Start Where You're Stuck, How to Keep Going and Not Give Up, and his new book, How to Create the Conditions for Great Work. Robbie Swale, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bob. It's a pleasure to be here. So Robbie, we're going to jump deep into the world of coaching today and everything that's surrounding that. But for the listener who's new to you and your work, could you just start by telling us a little bit about who you are, where you are, and the kind of work you do? Yeah, so yeah, my name's Robbie Swale. I'm based in, only recently based in the West Midlands in England. We've just moved out of having been in London for about eight years. And and the work I do, the way I think about it these days is, is it's really about three things that I'm interested in. It's about leadership and how people can particularly lead with honour, how they can do the right things even when it's hard, the right things for them follow their values, not have to compromise themselves to reach the success that they want. Um, it's about the craft of coaching. So all that, all those things you just said, I, I completely agree with. And that's where one of my podcasts, The Coach's Journey, comes in. I run training for coaches sometimes and, and have a community of coaches that I, that I lead. And it's about creativity. And I mean that in the broadest possible sense. I, I'm really interested in why do we sometimes, and I'm definitely, I, this has happened to me multiple times in my life, why do we sometimes want to do something, perhaps even for a long time, and not do it? And then what's the gap? How do we bridge that gap between I want to do it, I know deep down I want to do this thing, whatever it is, start a business, write a book, some other other creative projects or something different. Um, how do I get to the place where I've done it? And that's where the 12-minute method work comes in, which is those three books, plus a podcast, plus one more book coming um, coming soon. So there's a lot there, but I can get past the moving out of London to the West Midlands. <laughs> For my American listeners, if you've seen Peaky Blinders, that's what we're talking about here. That's right. Yeah, it's funny actually, Bob. We've just <laughs> I, we we've been getting recommended Peaky Blinders for a long time. I've never watched it, and, and oh. a few months ago, I said to my wife, "I think when we move to Worcestershire, we should start watching Peaky Blinders." So we watched like the first part of the first episode a couple of nights ago. We've got a young daughter, so we then got tired and had to stop. <laughs> but we will get back to that. Oh, uh, you're in for a treat. It really <laughs> is just awesome TV. So, what triggered the move from London? It's been a long time coming. Partly it's about more space, partly it's about more nature. Like we were in the ninth floor in a lovely flat that we loved 
for six years and now I'm speaking to you from the new house looking out at a, an oak tree in our garden that's hundreds of years old and a, a kind of meadow which someone who lives nearby keeps horses in and I can see over this kind of uh, corner of the nearest town in, in the distance, the nearest little village. So it, it's a lot about that. The original trigger, actually, strangely, and it's a lot about family. And that was the original trigger, really, which is the house next door to my wife's sister went up for sale. And it, this was midway through 2020. And so uh, like a lot of people, there was a real exodus out of London at that time. I think a lot of people who were planning to move out of the city at some point soon did their moves in 2020. A few of my friends did that. And we saw this house go up for sale next door to some of the people that we love the most. Mm. And, you know, th that really captured my imagination. And I think that was what we missed that house. It sold before we got there because that was what the, the house market was around. It was like around here, around then. But that that really got the thinking going. And this part of the country, it's near my wife's family, but it's also got other people that we know and, and care about in, in the near distance. And about uh, probably 18 months after we had that first thought, Having done various looking at houses, we found this one, and it, like perhaps like every buying a house thing that happens, it had lots of drama in the buying. But we got here in the end, and we're here, and um, it's, it's very lovely to be speaking to you from from this room. I've seen the view from your London window on Instagram. I did a bit of snooping earlier, and yeah. it's an awesome view. But I can I can totally understand with with young children that's just not sustainable. No, exactly. And, and we, yeah, we might so the we might get into it the twelve minute method and the the photos on those blogs is probably what you've seen. And the the new brand of the twelve minute method blog will probably be this oak tree in the in the garden in this house in in we're actually just in Warwickshire on the Warwickshire Worcestershire border. Nice. So I want to spend a little bit of time talking about this gap between wanting and doing. But before we jump into that, because you're quite a young guy and it's very easy. Well, I'm, I'm making an assumption looking at pictures of your young guy. I don't know what you're using if you're not. But, um, <laughs> I'm 37. So I, I don't know if that clarifies it counts as young still. I'd be an old for a footballer, but, but <laughs> young for a, for a, you know, CEO of a multinational company. Yeah. However, I think actually as a coach, you're misleadingly experienced. I don't know if I'm saying that properly. I had a look around your LinkedIn profile and you've been involved in the coaching and coaching for quite a long time. Yeah, I, re I remember when, I remember being at a, an event, a coaching kind of conference event when like 2017, when I'd been coaching for a couple of years. So I started coaching professionally in 2015 when I was about 30. And I remember an event in 20, late 2017, so two and a bit years I've been coaching, and I started telling people I've been coaching for two years, and it or, and, and the first person said, "Wow, that's you've been at this for quite a long time then." So I think in a in an industry that is moving fast, a kind of lots of new coaches entering the market all the time, seven years suddenly feels like a long time, and you can add some leadership development stuff that I was doing before I I started coaching professionally onto that, and yeah, it's kind of it's probably getting on for a decade now that I've been focused in my work on on developing people in yeah that way. i just thought it it's good to get that out there because it's easy to misunderstand people and mm. listening as well you hear quite a young voice and for me you have an impressive pedigree in coaching which is why i want people to listen and it's why you're here so let's talk about this gap between wanting and doing because when you said that i immediately thought of this zig ziglar quote i think it's zig ziglar it might not be but if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. <laughs> and a lot of people just continue banging their head against a brick wall with doing what they've always done. And then they wonder why their businesses never really progress. So what is that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's probably lots of levels we could talk about it on. 
you know, at a, at a fairly deep level, what comes up for me is to start something new, we have to become something new, which means we have to change. And change is difficult. And there are parts of us that don't want to change. And so one of the reasons my view would be, and, and this is influenced by people like Stephen Pressfield, who, whose work really helped me stop being someone who often didn't do those things and become someone who mostly does the things. I think a big part of it is, you know, we, we are wired to stay safe and to keep us totally safe, we kind of have to never change because if we change, there'll be change. We don't know where the change will lead. We don't know what will happen in other parts of our lives. But, but to do and to do the things, we have to act with courage. And if we act with courage, then we kind of have to change. For the listener, I'm still resonating on this. To start something new, you have to become something new. Mm. I'm, I'm struggling to move on from that. If I'm honest, that was really good. I need, I've, I've written it down. I'm going to use that and claim it as my own. Please do. <laughs> but I recognize exactly what you're talking about there. I think a lot of people, norm, normality is, is our default. That what's normal for us is normal for us. And to move away from what's normal for us, it's almost like it causes pain and discomfort. Mm. And as an organism, we're hardwired to avoid that discomfort. And that was great when we were in the caves and we were trying to stay safe. But if we're running business, it's really, really unhelpful. So you're essentially fighting against nature. You're fighting against gravity. And so you need systems and processes to essentially strap on jets there to allow you to overcome that gravity. In your work, that appears to be the 12-minute method. And whenever I hear 12 minutes and method, I, I'm immediately drawn to it because of the implied simplicity. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. It, it, it is. It really is my has been, it was created really by accident from a coaching session. And it really has been my mechanism for overcoming that that gravity, for getting through the pain and discomfort. Uh, for sure, I used to take the pain and discomfort as meaning something about who I was and what I could do. Like th this is a really important piece for me. I used to think that because I felt pain and discomfort or had thoughts like, who am I to do this? Or, um, you know, all, all those kind of insidious thought patterns that that meant that I wasn't an author or a business person or a coach or, or whatever it was I was setting out on at the time. And so, you know, again, to just to mention Pressfield again, one of the big things that his work did for me, particularly the book, The War of Art, was showed me that, that you know, everybody, if not everybody, many, many, many successful people in every field have those same thoughts and fears and pain and discomfort. And really what separates us is what do we do in the face of those things? And so in about 2016, so I was about a year into my coaching business, and one of the things I'd realized was, you know, both one of the prerequisites, most important things and um, privileges of having a coaching business was to receive coaching myself as part of that business. And I was working with a coach called Joel Monk, who runs an amazing uh, training organization for coaches called Coaches Rising. But Joel was my, my coach over a period of about 18 months. And we were working on essentially this place of pain and discomfort that I found which was came up every time it came to what I called share myself. So this would be kind of when I was publishing my website for my business for the first time, but also, but, but everything from that to creating things or writing to making jokes on social media, it all had this kind of pain and discomfort that you're talking about. And we'd been working on this in a variety of ways. And then this magical thing happened. I'll, I was, I was, you know, I'm working on book four in the 12 minute method series at the moment. And I was 
one of the things I wrote in, in the intro to that is this moment that I think are, is, it's like etched in my story now, which is that Joel said, Joel, Joel was an artist, interestingly, before he was a, a coach, among other things. He said, when I was an artist, I used to enjoy painting series of paintings. What would happen if, we, if you created a series of articles? And um, for some reason, that was an important moment. And what we created from that, from that kind of thing that emerged between us was what at the time we called the train series. Um, so I got a train from Southwest London into London, Waterloo in the center of the city, short train journey, three days a week to some, some work I did in a, in a leadership development organization. And the game, the, 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 the train series was going to be created along these rules, which were, I was going to write an article on each of the days in the next two weeks, there were five of them that I was going into this office. Um, when I got on the train, I would start writing when the train started moving, stop when it stopped, proofread that article once, and then post it on LinkedIn uh, as it was at that point. And I chose LinkedIn because I thought basically no one read LinkedIn, which was <laughs> kind of true, more, much more true in 2016, kind of true then, not so true now. LinkedIn's kind of changed as a as a blogging platform or grown in that way it, it, in, as, as I've seen it. And what I found with that was it was painful. There was pain and discomfort and anxiety and worry. And for me, a lot of it was about embarrassment, people laughing at me, people calling out my writing for being rubbish, much less polite words. And basically that the, the, kind of the key thing about these, these, these five articles was that that didn't happen. Now, I didn't get a huge response to them. Some of them probably didn't get any likes or comments. A few of them did. But the key thing was I didn't, my fears weren't proven true. And I could kind of feel some of that thing we were just talking about beginning to happen. Now, I wouldn't have called it that at the time, right? The way I think about it now, I, I just knew something was up at that time. But what, it, what was up was I could feel a bit of the other side of becoming someone new in order to do something new. You know, because when you, you're coming up to that moment of doing something new and having to become someone new to do it, it's all the pain and discomfort and fear. But when you take action in the, in the face of fear, which is just how I define courage, right? Action in the face, face of fear. If you, if you do an act of courage, on the other side of that, you start to feel what it's like to be brave and to grow and become something new. So I could feel that happening. And what I decided to do, I had a two-week holiday after that and I didn't commit to anything. But over the holiday, it kind of became just came clear to me, I need to keep this going. So I decided to keep the train articles going until Christmas that year. I think we started in August, so it was a few months. And then at Christmas, I decided to keep it going. I decided when I came back from the holiday, I'd do it every week. And I've now been writing an article in essentially that way every week for more than six years. At wow. some point, I stopped getting the train as much. And I checked that day, how long is the train? I think it was a train from Waterloo to Clapham Junction at that time. How long is this train? It was 12 minutes. And so when I wasn't getting the train, I would set a timer. So right while the timer's going, stop when it stops, proofread it once, post it online. There are now something like 270 of those articles. And on one level, the 12-minute method is as simple as that. It is to set aside some time, as much time as feels enough, to spend that amount of time on the thing, whatever the thing is, and then to share it. And, and in whatever way share it means, to call it finished, to send the email. I, I have people who use it to get over their propensity to proofread their emails like a million times, which I'm also guilty of, or, or was much more guilty of before I started you know, trying to understand that better, or ship the article or, what, or, or finish the exercise and call that enough, whatever the, the different things might be. I think what you described there is a really interesting method that I think anybody listening can extrapolate how it can be used in many other circumstances. One of the things that I see again and again is people seem to have almost a success barometer. They seem to reach a certain point 
in whatever it is they're doing and then they can never really reach beyond it. And as you put it earlier, to do something new, to start something, you need to become something new. To operate at a different level, you need to operate at a different level. And that requires an identity shift. And that isn't something that you can just magic. It comes through the experience of doing something new. And what I like about the 15-minute method, it's a little bit like, well, I often speak about how you need to desensitize yourself to the things that are causing discomfort. Hmm. And over time, they will become normal. That 12-minute method can be applied to pretty much anything that's causing you a block, which I guess is the whole premise of the method, I'm assuming. Yeah, that was what it was for for me, right? I didn't think about it at the time, but when I'm creating... When I'm supporting other people to create a method like this, that's usually where we start from. Because I didn't start out to have a blog with 270 articles and four books and all that kind of thing. I set out, I want to become somebody who can share themselves online without this pain, discomfort, fear, and anxiety. And that's essentially what it was, what I was practicing. Now, it happened that I was also practicing some other things, right? I was practicing writing. And because I was practicing writing, I was practicing having ideas and thinking. And it's had impacts on all kinds of other ways as I've had to become someone new, have that, have some identity shift in that way. And it was definitely a gradual process. So I would say now I have become that person. So there's pretty much, I can't remember the last time I wrote, I can't remember a recent article that I've written where I, it, it carried that kind of pain and discomfort or worry, but they didn't, that didn't stop overnight, right? There were, there, there, I would say three or four years in, there was still sometimes I was writing about something that felt so edgy for me that it was, you know, well, that it was really edgy as to whether, like, am I really going to going to share this? And in the end, the commitment, the practice, the fact that it was a practice is, is what kept me kept me sharing in those times but it's absolutely been been a process of desensitizing to that thing but in a way i wouldn't call it desensitizing doesn't feel quite right because it's it's not it's not like a painkiller right it's like working it's like it's more like the um maybe it's more like the the immune system right fighting you know it's like humans being anti-fragile you know if if we get an infection it doesn't break us actually we're stronger from then on it's more like that it's more like a strengthening and a growing that comes from a practice like this yeah. I think going back to this whole wanting and doing thing, I think one of the things that I encourage a lot of people to think about is before you go out and try and do anything, or if you are not seeing the results that you want, or if you don't know the direction you want, you need to start with a little bit of fantasy and then clarify that into a vision for your business or your personal brand or whatever it is that matters to you. If you don't have a really clear vision, then you're going to really struggle to move with any energy or achieve any momentum. And it doesn't matter what that's for, whether you want to start a new business, whether you want to start showing up online more strongly and with more confidence. It begins with a vision. And a lot of people often struggle to understand, okay, I have this amazing vision of what I, what future Bob could look like, but all the barriers on the road to that vision of future Bob just look insurmountable. And what I like about the 12-minute method is it lets you just gradually, over time, chip away at the distance. Yeah, yeah absolutely. My, my old coach, Rich Litvin, he used to often talk about, you know, you have a, have a long-term goal. I, I think it was a 25-year goal and then focus on 90-day sprints. And I, I think I'm right in saying this, that he, he said that 90 days is 1% of 25 years. It's something like that. So it's like, that might, that's probably a good those are the two timeframes that I think really help you go from wanting to do something 
but not doing it to doing it, right? Like you said, it's, it's useful to have the time frame, which is the long game. It's like, where do you want to be in the end? How do you want this thing to be? And then in some ways, I've found it and seen it to be very powerful to detach from that as much as possible and bring yourself as close to the present day as possible because it, it can very easily be the insurmountable stuff on the way, um, obsessing about the vision, stopping us from getting into action. There are all these ways in which we can fall down. And and so, and actually we can we can share this with, with listeners because um, there's a worksheet that I have to help people create their own 12 minute practice. And I, but I'll share the question. We'll, we'll, we can put a link, I guess, Bob, in the, in the show notes or something, but yeah. The three questions that I, or the three areas that I invite people to investigate are, are these kind of things. So the way I usually ask the first question, the vision question, because the 12-minute method for me was about changing who I am, it starts from a question about that. It starts from, who would you like to be in five years' time? I mean, you can use any time frame for this. You can go the 25 years, you can go longer, but who would you like to become? You know, And for me, it was, I'd like to become someone who can share the things they've made online, Ideally with joy, but at least without this with this pain and anxiety. And then the question is, what does a person who's like that do regularly? And well, one of the things for my, in my example is, well, they they share things online regularly. And then the last one is, and how can you turn that into something you can do? And I, you know, on the worksheet, of course, it says twelve minutes. But what I love about what I love about twelve minutes is, Bob, that train journey. That tr- it's almost never twelve minutes. Um, only a couple of times a day is it 12 minutes. So it could easily have been the seven-minute method or the 30-minute method or the 15-minute method. And th- th- the great thing about that is, you know, we're talking about the principle here. And when people take it and run with it, you know, I have people who, you know, often it becomes 20 or 60 or 10 or something different. But how do you make that into a repeatable thing that you can practice? And then once you've got that repeatable thing, it's just about practicing and detaching as much as possible from that outcome that you want and remembering the practice. And, and the reason that that, like one of the, the reason that that is so important is that at least in my view, I've, you know, I've learned this from several authors and different people, but it, I feel like it, it was a real shift for me to see that talent, I was over-indexing what is talent massively. Many of us do this. I saw talent where in reality, it was a lot of practice. And often when we see someone who we think is talented, it's actually just that they've practiced it much more than than a normal person has. And so when you know that, then practicing something, even for just 12 minutes a week, is is really important because it can take us to somewhere in the future that that we wouldn't have imagined was possible for something as short as 12 minutes a week. I I think as well, a lot of people completely overestimate what it takes to achieve certain things. (laughs) I've learned this through speaking with lots of entrepreneurs at a very high level, what they find is the gap between them and the people who are perceived to be sort of several, I hate talking about levels of entrepreneur or things like that, but I guess those who are achieving heroic status and success, they only really had to push 10 or 25% further than those who are struggling. And it's that little bit of extra effort, it can just make all the difference. And we completely underestimate how achievable, incredible things are. Yeah. And, you know, I, I get interested when people have all kinds of practices, right, which which are or could be essentially a 12-minute practice. And one of the things you get for leaders in business is often they're so busy, right? And I get curious, well, what happens if you could just have 12 minutes a week of 
the creative thinking or the, you know, the slowing down that you feel like you never get. Again, we, I think one of the things I've learned from the 12 minute method from myself, from using it and talking about it with others is it's about obsessing in some ways about enough, doing enough, not doing as much as possible. And sometimes a lot less than we think is enough. Like 12, you know, if we think about that, that 10, 25% more that somebody might have to do to move to the next speech marks level, although I, I, I know I get why you're, you're questioning that idea, but I, we all know what you mean. You know, it, it might not exactly like you say, it might not take as much time or energy as we think. And, and certainly that's been one of my experiences as a writer using 12 minutes. You know, I have had a few, many times, well, a few times that I can remember, I'm sure more over the years where I, you know, I can remember one about branding, actually, an insight I had about that. And I thought, I'm going to sit down at some point and write a speech marks proper article about this, which to, in my mind requires, you know, sitting down, maybe doing some research, writing for a whole afternoon. And then after maybe a year after having that idea, I, it kept knocking on the back of my mind. And I was like, here's a thing that I want to do that I haven't done. You know, what's going on with this article? And maybe I should just give it a go in 12 minutes and see what happens. And it turns out in 12 minutes, I was able to write pretty much the whole thing that I thought would take two hours. And, and only my story about how long something would take, how much thought and energy it required had stopped me getting that idea out into the world much earlier. And unfortunately, this is a kind of trap that I've fallen into a bunch of times in my career. And, and my feeling is, you know, it happens a lot for a lot of people. I think what you reminded me of there and everyone will relate to this is for some reason the day before you go on holiday you can get three <laughs> weeks work done right yeah so why not systematize that that's what you're describing there mm. and the timer does that actually bob it's the timer's like um i think the timer is an underrated tool I use it for writing in this way, but I also use it to pattern interrupt as well. So to make sure I don't accidentally, for example, get stuck in my, accidentally find myself still in my inbox, like two hours after I went in there. You know, I'll, I'll often set a timer for 20 minutes. Like 20 minutes is enough time to do the important emails and then get the hell out of there and do something that actually matters. There's a name for that phenomena. I can't remember what it is, but it's this whole thing of any task will grow to fill the available space. <laughs> yeah, so you it's, need called to limit it. it's called Hofstadter's Law. It's right. by a guy called Douglas Hofstadter, who I once read a book by because a, a, a very successful therapist, couples therapist I know called Stefan Walters, he recommended it to me because he said, oh, Robbie, you're really interested in people, but you also have a degree in maths, which is a true story about me. You might understand the middle of Doug Hofstadter's book, I Am a Strange Loop. Uh, it, turned out, <laughs> it turns out undergrad maths wasn't enough to understand the middle of I Am a Strange Loop. But yeah, Hofstadter's law is exactly that, except you missed a bit, which I know is partly him making a joke, but is, is true. It's, it's something like any task will, will expand to fill the time available, even when you take into account Hofstadter's law. So right. even if you know it in advance, there's nothing you can do about the fact that it will take the time available, which is, is funny and feels very true. It's absolutely true. So I'm always curious to know because whenever I hear somebody that's very competent, I'm always curious to where do they still struggle? What are the barriers and the blockers in your business today? Yeah, well, Either psychologically, emotionally, or just really practical. I'm terrible at this thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess there's probably three that come to mind. So the first one is the same one it's always been. So I learned a thing about personal growth, I feel like. I, I think I maybe learned it from Rich, who I mentioned before. You first heard him say it, and then I've seen it to be true, which is, you know, we never really, speech marks, sort things out. So the things that we struggle with at one point are likely to come back with a different level of complexity at another point. And so I still have to catch myself getting held up by feeling overwhelmed about things. 
so that's like a classic part of the reason I don't start something is is I'll uh, feel like the project is too big, I'll get overwhelmed and stressed. Like a real advantage of publishing a book about something is it puts it in your mind a lot more. So actually, it's really useful for me to have published these books because it means every time I get overwhelmed about something, I remember, oh, wait a sec, I know something about how to deal with this. So and I'll set aside some time and I'll, I will I had it this year for a marketing project I've, I've been working on, which is partly why we're here, which is about appearing on podcasts. I got super overwhelmed by it. And I was like, well, look, I know something about this. So I'll set aside 30 minutes each week this year. And if I do that, that's probably enough. And what, what's good about, again, about those kind of ways of working is, um, you know, once you've started something, this is part of what's in the first book, how to start when you're stuck. Once you make a start, like we think we need inspiration to start, but the truth is it's once we make a start that we let inspiration in and inspiration's always around us. And that's probably that, cu- really, it's probably the courage feeling I was talking about before. We make a start, we have the rush of courage, and then suddenly it doesn't feel like a thing to only spend 30 minutes. It's like, if I've got time, of course, I'll do more than that because this is an exciting project. But I still struggle with those things and I have to be really careful not to let the overwhelming scale of things, all the twists and turns between now and the vision get too much. So that's one. Um, collaboration is another. So one of my mentors is a psychologist and author, Robert Holden. One of the things he says is the next level of success always requires a new level of partnership. And so I've been thinking a lot about that in the last year or so, which has meant expanding the team of people that I work with in a bunch of different ways and constantly having that in mind. How can I ask for help more? How can I bring more people on board now so that the future is freer? And of course, it it makes an enormous difference to me when I do that. Um, and And then right now in my business, I've just had a coaching session actually on it this morning. Right now, it's about like, what next? And in a way, it's about, you know, that thing you were talking about before. It's about like, if I always do the things... If I continue doing the things I've always done, I'll, I'll kind of stay in this way of being. What's the next level of success for me? And what? how do I need to change as a person to open that up? And for me, it's been a real year of what we call it like action, getting the books out, books that have been, you know, so the books were written 12 minutes at a time. They came in, in some ways, they came from those first three year, the first three years of, of that 12 minute blog. Like I accidentally discovered that in late 2019, I thought I'd put out a book of the blog because LinkedIn is so hard to navigate to. (laughs) I was like, well, people who want to read all this blog won't, they won't be able to find it. But one of the things I could do is I could put them into a book. And I thought it'd be funny because I could call it, I wrote this book in 12 minutes. (laughs) And and then my friend, Steve, who was going to, was one of the first people I was asking for help. My oldest friend, or one of my, not my oldest friend, but an old friend and who was the best man at my wedding. So a really good friend. He's a a great editor and writer in his own right. And he was going to edit it for me in a really light way. And he said, can the book do what the title does? Because the title says to me, if you wrote a book in 12 minutes, I'd probably get better get on with all this stuff I haven't been doing. But can the book do that? And amazingly, it turned out that it could. So I'd written 80,000 words in those first three years. That's what 12 minutes a week got me. And amazingly, I'd basically written 12, uh, 80,000 words about doing the things that we've been meaning to do. And I can talk more about why that is, but this is a, this is a long way of saying, I've been focusing really then this year on getting that out. It's been a really action-focused year. And I've actually realized that at the moment, I'm struggling to get back into a kind of the, the insight that I had in the coaching session this morning was get into the more visionary parts of myself so that I can yeah. really think about, well, what's next for me? What does that look like? Perhaps it's that next, you know, we were talking about finding the next fantasy and the next vision. But I feel like that's going to, from the coaching session this morning, it's going to feel quite different to how I've created visions in the past. It's going to have to for me to go to a new level. So where I'd like to go next is there will be people listening who don't have a coaching business. Mm. And I think 
if you, there are two kinds of coaches in my experience. I think there's the kind of coaching that you do, which is on the one hand, it would sound disparaging if I were to say it's general, but it really is about helping people make personal shifts. And then there's the kind of coaching that I do, which is I help people on a very specific journey. I'm the companion for that thing. And there are lots of people listening who are awesome at a particular thing. And there comes a point where you need to move off of the tools and doing things for people all the time. And the next step up, the next level, as we described earlier, is to look at an advisory, coaching, companion, strategic partner, whatever you want to call it. Typically, we call it coaching to wrap that into their business. So if you were going right back to day one, you were doing it again, or the other way to ask this question is, if there are people out there and you're thinking, I could add a little bit of coaching to my, to my business, how would you advise them to move into that? It's a really good question. And I think you're right. There's a kind of, yeah, the work, the coaching that I do tends to be more personal, perhaps more psychological. It's, it's you know, we're looking at, in a way, things like the thing I just described for myself. It's like, there's a new level of success. There's somewhere someone wants to go. What is it that they need to unlock in order to get there? You know, whereas sometimes people are bringing, like, here's this thing. When you're doing this thing, come to me, which I think is more more what you're talking about. And Yeah, it's almost know, but, like a tennis coach. Right, it's, right. It's exactly. quite different. And so, I mean, when people are coming to coaching, I mean, the, the first thing I, that comes to my mind is, like, make sure that you want to do it, right? So it's like, practice, try it out and experiment. That would be the first piece that I would say. Now, probably if someone's getting to that point, they're, if even if they're coming to it from a strategic point of view, like you said, it's like, now's the time to shift into that level where I'm more of an advisory role and I'm doing things for people less. If they're probably because they've got a business like that, they're getting asked for that help a lot and they're giving that help a lot. And one of the key things and really where my shift to coaching came from was what are the things in my other work? And I was a leader in, in arts and culture in the UK. Like what are the things about that that I actually loved, the actual tasks? And it became obvious to me when I slowed down with it that it was the things to do with people. So one thing would be, do you actually want to do it? Will you love doing this work? And then to experiment with it. And that would probably be the first thing I would say. Does that does that begin to answer that question, Bob? Or is there something, like what else? Poke, poke me in a different way. If, if no, it does there. absolutely help. It's not right for everyone. You, you are absolutely right to identify that. Where is your passion? Where are your talents? I think if you're not a people person, it's probably not the right way to go. But I do feel, and it, it comes back to this whole thing of if you keep doing what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. And if you want to grow your business, if you want to, there comes a point where a lot of consultants, I'll put it that way, they are trading time for money. And there is a limit to what you can achieve there. The market at some point will dictate your rate. Even if you're at that most premium end, there comes a point where you can't reach much further. And moving into coaching will allow you to monetize in a way that's a little bit better leveraged. But that isn't for everyone. There are, are other routes. I guess I, one question I would have is, what are the prerequisites from a human perspective? And alongside that, do you feel that any kind of qualifications are a prerequisite? Yeah, great. I love the question. Um, well, look, on, on some level, and I'm perhaps a little bit too much of an absolutist about this, I would say there are no prerequisites, but some people may require more practice than others. If you're practiced at listening to others and you've thought about 
listening as a as a tool as a skill which many people haven't because why would you get something we do all the time but if you're practiced at that then that's a great prerequisite you'll you'll find yourself taking to coaching in my view if you're a people if you think of yourself as a people person i think that's a really nice way of putting it but i would say that there are skills in what we can call coaching you know as defined by those industry bodies like the international coach federation or something like that there are skills in those in this idea of coaching that are useful for anyone and are worth practicing by anyone and i'll never forget that i once had a client who was incredibly it was a he was a very successful leader in his field incredibly smart man you know amazing cv and one of the hardest first coaching sessions i've ever done with somebody he was he really wanted me to prove my worth to him and you know these days i might have responded differently to him but we did it we kind of went it felt like we'd we'd had like a little boxing match in that session but he kept coming back he he stayed it was part of a leadership program and at some point in the middle of it he he really got it he got that there was a thing here that i was doing that he could take even he, and he wouldn't have described himself as a people person he was a, probably a thing person or a process person or something like that and he but he got that there was a thing that if he could take it maybe it was the the sprinkling of dust that would be the next level of success for him if he could just find the two or three things that i was doing that if he did them 5% 10% 20% more with his people would really change things and so there are thing you know there are things in coaching that anyone would benefit from and i don't think that a, that a certification is a prerequisite but i think let's let's not pretend that if if a group of people have done an enormous amount of learning and thinking about a thing they might have something interesting to say so at the very least there's there's like a book that's worth reading for somebody to if you're going to go out and be a coach call yourself a coach even if you're going to do a kind of the more tennis coach work right you've got the expertise and you're going to guide someone through these processes i would say it's worth reading one book and you could choose the one like um my one of my favorites is one called um effective modern coaching by miles downey and he's a very interesting guy i had him on my podcast for coaches and there's something about the clarity of thought for him and the focus and the practical nature of that book that I really like as a recommendation but but that'll give you a whole set of skills to then experiment with and then if you find from the experimenting with sessions with somebody or with with people to find out if it's for you or from reading a book like Miles's but there are lots of other other great ones out there what's another good one uh, Kim Morgan's one is good the, I, Claire Pedrick's book simplifying coaching I hear great things about and there, there are lots of great ones if you find that piques your interest and you want to learn more and deepen your understanding, then then a certification is a is a great way to go. But it's definitely not a requirement for having powerful transformational conversations with somebody. People without certifications do that all the time, and you can do a certification and still not be coaching someone in a in a powerful transformational way. So, but it, but it can absolutely help create the conditions for really good work. And I think to build on that, I think the one prerequisite for a coach is to have a coach. <laughs> I think that's really important because if if you're not willing to do the work, how can you possibly expect your clients to do the work? Yeah, I, certainly. If you, I wouldn't say that. Unfortunately, I think there are lots of coaches, Bob, that don't do that. But I don't think there are many successful coaches who do genuinely powerful work and and run their businesses successfully. I don't think there are many of those who don't have their own coach. And you know, honestly, to feel the power of it. You know, I've just told that story about Joel from six years ago, right? Once I'd had that experience of how powerful coaching could be, it's much harder for me. It didn't stop me, right? Because I still have those, the pain and discomfort and the worries, but it's a lot harder for me to doubt that the thing that I'm delivering is powerful when I felt the power of, of what it can do. 
So Robbie, I have had great fun. This is I've probably made more notes in this interview than I have in most. Oh, that's so nice to hear. That's great. I love it, Bob. <laughs> I've had a lot of fun too. And I feel like we've been, like I've been, I love it when I'm on the edge of new thinking and it feels like I've been in that place with you. So yeah, I've loved it. Oh, well, I'm glad. But I need to bring one last question. And it's what's one thing you do now that you wish you started five years ago? It's probably having help, Bob, to be honest. It's like I have an, a, an assistant, well, a company that, that that works with me who is a team of them and they do various things on my business. I have people who help with the podcasts that I run. You know, it, it's probably in that. It has, I'm not sure about it because uh, I'm always a bit wary of these questions, Bob, because I'm a science fiction fan. I don't want to mess with the space-time continuum too much. <laughs> like, because I like my life and I'm I like, I'm not saying you like, would something you would go back and fix. I'm, I disapprove of that. Yeah, it, but it's like, it, you know, because what I was going to say about getting help, it's like there's a power in and a value in having wrestled, for example, with podcast editing myself so that I can work with an editor at a different level of thinking. But I think that in a way, I just wish I'd got help earlier for sure. Yeah, I think a lot of people wrestle with trying to do everything themselves for far too long. It's yeah, often that was definitely true of me. Yeah, I mean, th- 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 it needs to be commercially possible for you. But I think, as we've seen with the twelve-minute method, if if you're not quite there with the commercial side of your business, where you can let go some of this stuff, let's work really hard on those few things that will move the needle to get you there. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, Robbie, I have had great fun. You have been an awesome guest. But that does bring us to the end of another episode. Thank you. To you at home for listening, if you enjoyed the show, then I would like to gently encourage you to leave a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. That's five, like the fingers on your hand. And share the show with just one person. Robbie, if people want to connect with you, where can they do that? Well, let's share with everybody the worksheet, which will help people create their own 12-minute practice if they want. So that's a great way. And if you do that, like what's when I think about what real success is for me in my business, one of the most meaningful things is when people say, I've been meaning to do this thing or wanting to do this thing for a long time. And then I came across your work, Robbie, and now I've finally done it. So if anyone uses that and creates something from it, I'd love to hear about that. You can find links to pretty much everything I do, the books, the podcasts, the coaching at robbieswale.com. The books are on Amazon and other places like Waterstones or Blackwells in the UK, Barnes & Noble in the US. And uh, the podcasts are in all the podcast places, as far as I know. And there's two of those. There's one for coaches, the, the, the Coach's Journey, which is interviews with coaches about how they, you know, similar asking asking questions a little bit like the one, ones, one you asked me about, like, you know, what was important at the start and what was important as your business grew, but specifically for coaches. And also the 12-Minute Method podcast, which is about me investigating the things that I have wanted to do for a long time and in the end finally done and what helped me get there. And it's great fun. I get to talk about changing career, but also learning Spanish and how me and my brother have rejuvenated our relationship and also starting podcasts and writing books and things like that. So yeah, you can find those in all the podcast places. Thank you. And if you did enjoy the show, then you will also love the Personal Brand Business Roadmap. It's 100% free as a gift from me and it's 30 pages of everything you need to start, scale, or just fix your expert business. You will also find a link to that in the show notes or you can just visit amplifyme.agency forward slash roadmap. Thanks again for listening. Thank you, Robbie, for your time and see you next week.